0: Welcome to the re-recording of the BCG uh, Best Practice Grazing Management webinar. I'm Alison Frischke, Senior Research and Extension Officer for Livestock and Farming Systems at BCG. Best Practice Grazing Management has been identified as a topic of interest by the GAP grower groups. GAP stands for Growth, Adoption, Production and Profit. This project is supported by the Department of Agriculture and Water Resources through funding from the Australian Government's National Land Care Program. So when we talk about grazing management, um, we're aiming to achieve the best outcomes for both pasture and livestock production. We need to know where and when to move grazing animals, what's the impact of the livestock and the pasture, and the pasture back on the livestock. And it helps us understand how different grazing systems work. To improve grazing management, we need to consider, and this is what I'll talk about today, the stock requirements, the value of the pasture, and in terms of grazing management, it's pasture utilisation, soil management, the strategy of grazing, stocking rate and fodder conservation. So firstly, water is one of the most important things for stock. Placement on the water in the paddock, um, we want a good central position so we can create a natural grazing art around that trough. And ideally in the, the middle of the paddock is going to be the best spot for that. But it's not always practical. so halfway along the fence line um, will still allow for that natural grazing at arc. The sheep are going to uh, will lose condition if they're forced to walk too far, so um, again that central point is important or we'll use a portable trough that you can move around. We don't want to place it too close to the fence because we don't want crowding between the trough and the fence. and it's also good to have shade nearby, but again, Uh, don't place a trough in the middle of the shade because you don't want camping right around that trough area. Uh, There's a recommended trough length, but it's the flow rate that's a really important thing. So stock are gonna spend less time around the trough if they know they can come in and get a drink quickly. Um, They're coming in smaller mobs and they'll reduce the time spent around that trough. So having a flow rate of a litre to a litre and a half per second um, is quite important to refill that trough sheep will need two, six litres per day, up to 80% more can go up to 10 litres in really hot weather, over 35. Um, so having that supply there. Um, using a holding tank is a really good idea because if it's um, a couple of days before you get around the sheep again, and there's been an issue with the pipe, having a holding tank is gonna have enough water to um, keep supplying water in that hot weather. And water sources should be familiar to animals. Uh, before uh, when they enter a paddock, make them familiar, and before an extreme weather event. When it comes to shelter, healthy sheep can um, tolerate wide range of temperatures if they're acclimatised and they've got adequate feed and water. But without it, they need to put more energy into normal functioning and less into production. So shelter can really improve the welfare of animals and reduce production losses. When it comes to cold, wet and windy weather, It can have a big effect, uh, particularly on new lambs and recently shorn sheep. So 70% of all lamb losses occur in the first 48 hours. If a new lamb who's popped out from a temperature controlled oven fails to get a drink soon after birth, they become progressively less able to do so. Um, So providing uh, good shelter and reducing wind speed can reduce lamb losses by up to 30%. Freshly shorn sheep, obviously, they've lost their nice big thick wool coat. Um, and they're quite susceptible in the first three days and up to two weeks. A bit of skin thickening does occur, but uh, just the stress of shearing can also be a factor in how they respond to, to cold temperatures. So um, it's difficult to move mops once they're cold, so pop them straight into a protected paddock if, if you're shearing during the cool months and make sure they've got plenty of feed. or keep them in some sheltered yards or sheds if there's a cold snap forecast, um, which can happen without little warning sometimes. Um, and heavily pregnant ewes shouldn't be subjected to that, um, the, the handling and the time off feed that shearing involves. When it comes to heat, uh, the merino is considered better adapted to the hot and shadeless conditions compared to British breeds, but really all sheep experience heat stress to some degree um, on hot days. So sheep keep cool by increasing their breathing rate by panting and they can lose a small small bit of heat through sweating. Um, lambs and ewes, uh, pregnant ewes, are more um, at risk due to their lower th- threshold and also sheep that have had a history of respiratory disease because they just can't um, pant effectively. Now your appetite is reduced when you're really hot, so it's important to have good quality feed during those times is um, also important for the recently shorn sheep to prevent um, sunburn. It can reduce repro. Uh, sperm quality uh, can take six weeks to recover if it's been um, subject to heat shock. And it can also have um, an effect on the ewes at any time during pregnancy, really, and reduce milk yield once, once the lambs are born on the ground. So by providing a bit of shade, um, For sheep to uh, rest in during hot days uh, should reduce heat stress and exhaustion on them. In terms of feed quantity, sheep will spend 11 to 13 hours a day grazing. um, So a good part of the day. And it's considered that if the pasture is too low, that is between two or three centimetres or between eight to 1,000 kilos of dry matter per hectare, Sheep will spend more time moving around the paddock, looking for feed, more time grazing. They just don't end up eating enough. But if the pasture is too high, and that's considered six to eight centimetres or um, above two and a half tonnes of dry matter, um, sheep will reach maximum gut feel very quickly and then they'll start to selectively graze across the paddock. They'll pick off um, the tastier bits, the more um, uh, easily digestible sweeter bits, and leave... Uh, the rest of the pasture underutilised and that feed quality will decline quickly and we'll have a look at some graphs about that in a minute. The rule of thumb is to allow a kilo of uh, dry matter per DSE per day for green feed and a kilo and a half of dry matter per DSE per day for dry feed. So DSE is the energy to maintain a 40 to 50 kilo dry merino ewe or weather which is about 7.6 to 8 megajoules of energy per day. Um, in terms, when we talk about nutrition, here are some desired levels of some of those feed parameters that when we do a feed test um, to look out for. So, digestibility, I just talked about, can range um, anywhere from 30% up to 85% of the feed. So, that's the proportion of the feed that's eaten that's retained by the grazing animal. And the high quality feed is considered above 65% whereas low quality, you're falling below 55. Metabolizable energy is directly related to digestibility and a couple of numbers there. Maintenance um, is eight megs, which we just talked about per DC per day. Whereas a ewe um, who's in lactation with twins can require up to 29 and a half. So it's pretty hard for her to get that amount of energy from her tucker and she'll draw on her energy reserves during that time. Another one, crude protein, dry sheep, it's a percentage of the feed, about 6 to 8%, um, whereas a growing, fast-growing lamb can require up to 18% protein. And fibre, don't really have a specific fibre amount for sheep, but we tend to go on the dairy industry recommendation to have above 35% fibre. So here we're taking a look at feed quality. Up the left, we have digestibility, and along the Um, the bottom axis, we've got the months of the season. And as we um, begin the season, so we've got fresh um, plants germinating, actively growing um, in the vegetative state, we've got high quality feed above 65% digestibility. As we move later in the season, we've got that low quality. So it's fallen below 55% um, and the plants becoming more mature, Um, becoming less digestible, less energy, and that we use our period waiting in uh, mixed farming sort of regions, um, when our pastures dry off and we're waiting for those stubbles to be available um, over late November, December, January. Best way of knowing what you've got in a paddock is to do a feed test. Um, And by comparing different feed tests, we we will see that um, legumes will be higher, um, than a cereal pasture and so if you've got a mixture pasture it'll fall somewhere in between as far as digestibility and energy. So ideally because they're that little bit better we want a legume component of 30% or more particularly for twin bearing use um, and but young lambs also need that quite high quality feed as well. A couple of life, uh, resources are the lifetime wool resources online and AgVIC have a good drought feeding and management of sheep um, handbook that you can download with Google. Just have a looking at some uh, feed tests here. If we compare um, a, a pasture, so we've got um, a grass pasture and a clover pasture early in the season here we've got MEs around 10 and a half or more and crude proteins quite high, more than the animals need generally, so um, they'll have excess protein there. And we've recorded up to 30 in um, early cereal crops. When we take a look at it later in the season, the energy is held up here for um, the grass and clover dominant pastures, but the proteins slip down. It's still um, enough for for most um, classes of animals. Um, Perhaps not those, um, you know, optimizing the top performance of those fast growing lambs, but um, still really good, and the clover is greater than the, the cereal pasture. Um, if we just looked at a pure cereal crop, um, where yeah, here we got 18% crude protein uh, down to before heading at 12%, and by anthesis, uh, by flowering, it's going to be um, the quality of hay, so around 8%. When we take a look at um, stubbles, um, so moving into those drier months, we can see quickly where the value of the stubble lies and it's in the grain and the grain feed of that pasture. They have a digestibility of 80 to 90% and energy levels, um, um, quite healthy energy levels to sustain um, activities there from nine and a half up to 13 and And of course we know from uh, proteins Um, from our cereal grains, they can go uh, range anywhere from 9 to 15%. When um, they've picked all that grain and green growth out of the pasture, all that's left is uh, straw and leaf and chaff. Our digestibility has fallen below 55%. So, um, and likewise, all of a sudden their energy is down around um, or less than 8% in a lot of cases and the protein is starting to slip away as well there. So uh, at that point, sheep are, they're gonna start losing weight at some stage. So uh, we think that we consider ewes to be more, um, perhaps more efficient on cereal pastures. but what's happening really is that they just store more body fat um, compared to a fast growing lamb. So um, that's, that's really, they're just drawing on their body reserves there. Uh, when we take a look at legumes, again, um, the value is in the grain um, compared to the straw. The straw can be a little bit better um, in terms of crude protein, but um, this is where we're getting the most bang for our buck, picking out those um, stray fiber beads that haven't been collected at harvest. To, to have an idea of um, the value of the paddock um, by, by looking at it, it's a bit hard with stubble because it's going to vary between seasons uh, between header setups um, uh, so there's lots going on out there but a couple of uh, one of the thresholds we've got is that uh, sheep will start losing weight below 40 kilos of either grain or green material and this is something we measured in uh, grain and grow project and um, also in another um, trial we did at NaAN that I'll chat about in the tip but so as long as we've got more than that um, livestock should continue to gain weight out there it's a, it's a, it's a guide um, lambs will need uh, much more than that though probably more more like 100 kilos per hectare to to achieve their growth rates and to do that you can supplement with a few lupins by doing a count so using a quadrup a 10th of a square meter that 40 kilos corresponds to about 13 14 um, either grains or green shoots um, of of cereal grains. For the legumes, you can see down the bottom here, either four grains for lupins, two for field peas and chickpeas, and one for faba beans. So by counting them, um, it's, it gives you a bit of an estimate of what's out there. Um, really, at the end of the day, Knowing what your animals are doing though, you need to um, probably put your hands on their backs and know what their condition score is. So uh, when you have them in the yards next, uh, whether it's ewes or lambs, put your hands on the backs and condition score about 50 sh- sheep from each mob. Um, so run a, three, a few through the yards first and and then, because uh, you'll get the more leaders go through first, probably your bigger ones, get something around the middle and and test 50, they're using the condition score um, sort of guidelines because just looking at them in a paddock, you're not going to notice small changes and, um, you know, a little change like 100 grams a day can add up to more than a condition score over a month. So it's easier if you know what's going on and cheaper um, to, to keep, to hold that stock condition um, than to try and put it back on later. And uh, just in a EID webinar the other day, Datamars were presenting and they um, announced that walkover weighing will be released in in August um, for sheep systems. So I reckon that's going to be a real game changer for being able to monitor animals out in the paddock. It's not putting your hands on their backs, but at least you can see what's going on with their weights. Uh, Winter weeds also have value um, in our pastures as well. And here's some data from Southern Farming Systems, MLA Project, um, done down south, but um, a couple of the weeds, barley grass and silver grass. If we take a look at digestibility, um, we can see for many months of the year, it's actually reasonably high quality and then it starts to taper away um, later on. So here's our range over here, just remembering that above 65%. And even for silver grass, although the, um, the time that that's got any value is, um, is much shorter than the barley grass. Uh, if we take a look at capeweed and marshmallow, again, they, they still do. Whether they eat it or not, they'll selectively graze around it for a while, um, or the marshmallow anyway. Capeweed they'll probably get into, um, but there's that high quality. And if we take a look at protein, many of these months here for protein are really quite high as well. And fibre is usually um, sustainable where it drops below 35%. It's going to be part of a mixed pasture. So they'll be able to get their, their fibre out of other um, pasture weeds anyway. Pasture utilisation. So regardless of the strategy used, the successful grazing system will manage pasture um, effectively and is going to do that by matching carrying capacity and the timing of spilling for, um, for recovery of the plants after grazing and the seed set. It aims to reduce uneven grazing that's either wasteful or harmful. Um, It matches stocking rate to the diet um, needed by the animal um, to achieve their production targets. And it can also play an important role in hazard reduction and weed management. So for soil management, um, a a couple of parameters, soil texture and soil structure. So soil texture is important for our soil nutrient and water holding potential and it's going to affect um, uh, our fertiliser strategy. You know, it could be more critical in sandy soil where nutrients move more quickly out of the soil than in clay soil, so how we put the fertiliser on. Soil structure also affects uh, the the nutrient and water-holding potential, and we can influence that using gypsum. And also the organic uh, matter levels of the soil is going to... um, Improved soil nutrient water holding um, characteristics as well as infiltration and drainage. Um, minimum till and no till farming, which leaves the soil relatively undisturbed, um, is is going to be better. Uh, and they're going to influence a uh, vigorous plant growth and the maintenance of soil ground cover through the uh, strategic grazing there. So when we did the grain to Graze project, um, we... Or when you look at research from across Australia and around the world, um, all the research at the end of the day really suggests that there are no grazing effects on, in no-till systems. And that's in terms of water infiltration, um, in terms of water storage, in terms of crop or pasture um, yield or production the following season. Any compaction effects tend to be short term Even the pugging situations in high rainfall areas, they tend to uh, be alleviated um, by the next season or the next tillage pass. And it had no uh, ongoing effects on nutrients or soil carbon. All of those um, on the proviso that you have adequate ground cover. So for ground cover, uh, most CMA regions, NRM regions, uh, recommend having at least... 70% 70% ground cover. So that's at least um, a tonne, tonne and a half of dry matter on the soil surface to protect that soil. And there are guides out there which, um, it, I mean, it's, it's a visual thing, you can just estimate what's there. The more anchored straw the better um, and some standing straw can also um, alleviate that wind effect as well. With large paddocks, um, with, and low stocking densities, which happens in this neck of the world, um, we can a- end up with um, overgrazing in some areas and undergrazing in others in those large paddocks. So will just talk quickly about grazing strategy. So there's um, a few here, starting with continuous grazing or set stocking. We've got animals graze continuously over one area of land, free to choose whatever they'd like to assume, uh, consume. So it's pretty simple. It's got little labour. You pop them in and leave them alone. And it can work if managed well. But the disadvantage is that they'll, um, they'll graze that area unevenly and they'll end up uh, consuming more of the palatable species um, and whereas the less palatable ones end up increasing out there. So you just you get this uneven pattern across the paddock Um, rotational grazing on the other hand where we have um, smaller paddocks as you can see that same area is divided up into four and the animals are rotated around between the different sections um, in shorter periods of time but behind each movement that pasture is allowed to recover before the next grazing so in this way you've got a more intensive grazing less selection selectivity of, of what they consume and they'll eat it down more eas- evenly. And the next level is more what we see in the dairy industry, where which is called cell grazing or time-controlled grazing, um, where you'll have a lot of small paddocks. Um, you might have 20 paddocks and the stock are moved um, once every one to seven days, so it's it's a very intense uh, setup. We're more likely to be able to achieve this in a broad acre situations. And the last two are spell grazing. That's um, it's not a fixed time. Um, it's more it, it's about monitoring um, monitoring the paddock, see what's eaten down, and then let those uh, take the animals out to allow the pasture recover and also not um grazing around that seed set time when you've got a permanent pasture system. And tactical grazing is probably a combination of all these various things um, that you can just you respond as the season progresses and, um, and the time of the season on just how you're going to move animals around. This was a bit of work I just um, referred to before. Um, we called it Grazing Behaviour in Large Mallee Paddocks. It was uh, done uh, a few years ago in 2015 um, and funded by the Mallee CMA in a collaboration with University of New England and um, Mallee Sustainable Farming. So a trial was done at Neandaly. Uh, It was a 107 hectare paddock and on it we had 200 um, two-year-old merino ewes and of them, 25 of the ewes were fitted with a UNE um, tracker GPS collar. And that took a reading every seven minutes. So we grazed them over a summer period and a winter period, and we were able to see where they moved around in the paddock and um, whether they were actively grazing, whether they were resting, whether they were walking, and have a look at their behaviour over that time. Here's um, sort of created these little yield maps with their um, grazing maps. So this is the intensity, the red is high intensity, they spent a lot of time there, and the green is low intensity. Um, And these maps are each 10 days apart, so that's over the uh, 30 days there between mid-January and the third week of February. And they were just grazing um, stubbles, any grain that was left, um, but no grain feed because there wasn't any rain at that time of the year. We can see where they've put pressure on. Um, there was a trough in this point of the paddock in each of the photos, so you can see them walking in there. Um, but generally, if you overlaid all these maps, um, they, you would get a fairly even spread of grazing across that time. They've covered all of the paddock. They went around and they picked off all the grain um, that was left over. And towards the end, their, uh, their grazing speeds or their... Yeah, they, they moved around a lot more and the distance travel was a lot higher as they were running out of grain. And um, that dropped down to about 20 kilos per hectare from our monitoring. So um, they probably would have lost a, a condition score over that time. And that, that uh, activity corresponded to when the grain fell below 40 kilos per hectare. When we take a look at the winter grazing though, um, so this is a vetch and this was grazed from 28th of July to the 17th of September, they spent a lot of time up this western end of the paddock. Um, And if we overlay these maps, they've ended up spending um, most of their time on, um, well, probably 75% of the paddock, but 25% of the paddock, they really didn't even touch up the eastern end of the paddock. You can see here sitting in the western end, they're sitting in the gully, but they've got a bit of protection and, they, they really um, put some grazing pressure on there. And they ended up being taken out of the paddock because they were reducing the ground cover too much there. From our uh, monitoring points around the paddock, up the western end here, uh, you can see where they're sitting that they pretty much kept up with the rate of pasture growth. Whereas on the eastern side, it got away and, um, and it accumulated there. And there was, um, produced about two and a half tonnes of etch up that end. In terms of profitability, the stocking rate for the paddock was 5.6 DS per hectare, but really, because they weren't utilising all the paddock, it was more like 7.3 on um, three quarters of the paddock. If you could um, impose some, um, some grazing management on that, you could either, to utilise that extra feed, you could either run another 65 ewes with lambs, or if you cut that hay, Um, you could have made another $4,000 with prices at the time. So the strategies for grazing would be in summer to use, um, if you could um, have a different connection for the trough and move the trough around or a a mobile water point and just keep them off the lighter areas. Whereas in winter, if you could increase that grazing pressure either by increasing the mob size or using something like um, temporary fencing, you could create some smaller areas and, um, and utilize that pasture more effectively. So it also demonstrated how real-time tracking and virtual fencing um, would enable us to uh, do better grazing management across the paddock. Um, in terms of temporary fencing, there are a, couple, there are a few options out there. Um, a couple of, probably the better ones for our bigger paddocks are the wrapper system, um, which goes up to 600 metres in length. You've got Michael Moody on the bike here. Um, demonstrating that at one of our field days. Or um, Kiwi Tech um, is another one, and that's a 300 metre fence. So it all just depends on the shape of your paint. Gallagher have one, um, I believe it's about a hundred metres. Um, just like to mention the virtual fencing thing. It's, it's still um, an area, well, it's commercially available um, now for, um, for cattle and for sheep, it's, it's really, it's in the research stage for most, but it's closer for cattle than it is for sheep. But sheep um, are responding quite well to it. Um, we could use, so again, they, they have a collar on um, and uh, are used to guide animals across the paddock to, to get um, better grazing efficiency. So by drawing a virtual fence on your iPad and using a base station, and satellites to relay information. The idea is is that the animal will move towards that virtual boundary that you've created and they'll get a series of signals. So it'll start off and they might get an audio signal to try and turn them back. And if they keep moving over that fence, they'll get another signal and eventually they might get some electrical stimulus. So it's a learned sort of response system um, where after a while, it's a bit like hitting an electric fence for the first time. You think. Um, they soon learn not to to go and press on that fence again. So, and this is the same with audio and electrical stimulus. Um, and it also means if they cross that line, they don't just keep getting zapped, but they'll start the process again of of the audio signal process. So, they can learn how to how to turn back. So, um, in terms of the research um, for these uh, for sheep, they to try and get the um, the cost of collars down for controlling a mob of sheep, they've had a look at how many sheep within a mob um, need to have collars on. And they've found 66% of the mob is quite effective, but once you drop down to 33%, um, you start getting a few strays. So, um, In another um, trial, they successfully showed that sheep can be moved down a paddock just by keeping on moving that single back uh, virtual fence, preventing them from turning around and moving across the paddock. So, there's some really good um, signs for the sheep uh, industry there. When we consider stocking rate, that's the number of livestock in a paddock or a whole farm, uh, we need to maximise utilization um, while looking after that pasture. So we know that's going to be um, uh, a resilient, a persistent pasture. So again, meeting the target requirements for stock, don't graze new plant. Uh, growing points, because uh, you're obviously going to set it back. Um, in ryegrass management, they talk about uh, grazing before the first leaf dies, because that's considered as waste. Um, so there's about three leaf stage. But for, for a, you know, another school of thought is that, that that dead leaf doesn't really go to waste. It's going back as litter under the paddock. It's carbon going back, soil protection. So it all depends on um, how intense your system is and what you're trying to achieve. Um, We need to monitor the animals and move them before their critical um, limits. And we've talked about dry matter and height limits um, earlier and also ground cover limits. And then we need to monitor the, um, the regrowth period before the next grazing. And do feed budgets. So we know how long a paddock will last with a particular number of livestock in it well, how many can I put it in while still maintaining uh, residual pasture cover and ground cover? And finally, co- fodder conservation. Uh, hay and silage, um, I don't really need to chat about here. That's an obvious one. Um, in containment, um, we well, we feed that hay and silage out and grain that we've stored on farm, and we'll use that when paddocks Uh, Feed value has become so low that it's not sustaining growth anymore and we need to protect the ground cover and let pastures establish. It's becoming more common for our mob to use. And also to manage what animals are eating. Manage their diet because you know exactly what you're putting into the feeders and and they actually require less energy because they're not having to walk across the whole paddock. And fodder banks is the other uh, fodder conservation you can do, either using forage shrubs, um, common one there is uh, salt bush areas, but also um, grazing crops are considering this as well. And they can be either during the winter period or um, even as a, a spring or summer fodder bank. So for winter grazing of cereals, um, we, can, we can grow this nice lush feed bank that coincides with when uh, We're in late pregnancy or lambing um, in this environment. Ideally, we like to sow them early and use varieties with longer growing season. Um, And those varieties are adapted. We've had a a lot of look at um, winter wheats in the past and a lot of them were quite old. There's quite a bit of effort now into growing um, more adapted types for broader area across Australia and in lower rainfall areas, but also longer season um, spring wheats as well. We graze these when they're anchored, so when their secondary roots um, come out and um, so that sheep can't pluck them out as they're grazing them and can we graze quite early anywhere from three to four leaf or GS13 onwards and we need to stop by GS30. And just having a look at this um, cut in half wheat plant here, we can see the first node coming out well, this is thirty-one, and the little head above it is starting to rise up. So we don't want to nip that off if we're if we're looking for grain recovery. If you're not too worried about grain recovery, um, it's it well it doesn't really matter if that's nipped off, but you are going to be grazing the plant harder, and it'll take it longer to recover before the next grazing can go in. So it's best to. Um, in that situation, yeah, if you can clip graze. So leave some green leaves out there, leave some solar panels so the crop can grow back will be um, much more um, advantageous to the plant. Try and use enough stock in there, so enough grazing pressure to graze evenly. Um, grazing can delay development by 3 to 14 days or depending on um, the season, the time of the the time of the season, stored soil moisture, what's ahead of it. So, um, it yeah, it, you know how animals graze across paddocks and so keeping a, a bit of stock pressure on there will help. Help just keep that more even if you're going for um, harvest later on. The other type is grazing a crop in spring or summer or we call it a standing crop that you've held for Later in the year, and that's any time from head emergence onto grain fuel. it can be a cereal or leg, um, or a combo with legume pasture or or legume grain that delivers some extra protein, and it can be a pretty useful tool for finishing lambs off. So autumn-born lambs, lambs um, finish them off, um, you know, between well usually five to six months of age. Um, Later in the year, get them off the property earlier and take that stocking pressure off the farm over summer. And so we've got a crop um, out in Head here at Lawlight, or this is a uh, rye and Lucen, um at the Bennett's in 2018. Um, and you can just see it's obviously um, a lot better ground cover than other pastures at that time of the year. But not, uh, it can also be useful for use not just lambs, um, but for regaining condition before joining, um, and others will actually lamb onto those crops. In this case, what should you grow? Well, it all depends what you're trying to do. Again, you want something adapted um, that you know how to grow, how to manage, and you've probably got it on storage already, and that can give it a flexible end use based on how the season pans out. Um, alternatively choose something uh, fit for purpose. So for winter, look at something that um, jumps out of the ground early, good early biomass. So Moby barley is a good fit for that. Um, If you're looking to the spring or summer grazing, um, the longer season, outback oats is a good choice. Or if you're finishing lambs, you want a grain variety with good protein in there to support their growth rates. Or if you've got a bit of a messy paddock or it's a bit of a permanent pasture paddock but you're trying to tidy up the species in it, you can choose something like Scope that's got herbicide tolerance um, for some grass control. Just an important point with standing crops, though, is understanding the nutrition of what's happening out there. So here's a trial we did last year at our main field site um, for BCG. And um, we took five varieties out of the trial and tested their, um, their, either their tissue or their grain for, um, for their nutrient analysis. So for all of the um, crops here, oats, barley and wheat, really uh, good early crude protein, anthesis that had dropped back. Um, we've got 7.6 to 10.6 here. Um, so you're falling back to that um, hay sort of value for a cereal. But then uh, once grain's fixed in the head, again, uh, we're going great guns. And we've got 13 14 uh, 16% protein even. metabolizable energy goes through the same process um, early, falls away by anthesis and then picks up in the grain. Fibre's almost the, the other way around. So it's increasing um, as, as it hits flowering and then, uh, grain will be lower fiber again. Um, but adequate or adequate if it's part of a mixed diet and digestibility is all pretty good. So really good tucker, but it's understanding when, when you might have a, um, a protein shortfall uh, around that an thesis time, um, that you need that legume supplement as a, as a pasture underneath or as a, as a grain supplement. just moving through them. Um, and here's some examples of um, some of the mixes. Um, so here on Bennett's, we've um, got Ellen Bennett here, cereal rye uh, in 2018 and then they sowed over with Fathom barley and Ceredella in 2019. Uh, they had some blast ryegrass that they uh, sprayed out late in the year and that, was, that had um, Loosen underneath it, and so that was able to regenerate in early 2020. We've had some good early summer rains this year. Um, and here um, got Bailey petering at Matoa. They've got a system where they sow Spartacus barley, and that's got clover underneath it. And so they'll crop, and then the following year it'll just be a regenerated pasture with that um, and they'll they'll end up spraying that out and spraying barley grass out too, but then so back to spider the next year. So take home messages to achieve best practice grazing management and livestock production, we need to consider all these things: the stock requirements, water, shelter, feed quality and quantity. The look at the pasture value of what's out there and know what's in in it. Um, in terms of our legume cereal stubble mixes, weeds, they've all got. Um, um, different values and at different times of the year, that's going to vary as well. So knowing that, grazing management, we have pasture utilization, soil management, a strategy, um, allowing for recovery of plants and persistent pastures, getting that stocking rate right to um, match it to the feed growing and also what stocker um, need out there, but, and also these fodder conservation um, to fill the feed gaps during the season. So um, if you have any queries about this, feel free to give me a call on 429 922 787 or email me at elson at So again, I'd just like to thank um, the, uh, the GAP project, um, funded by the Department of Agriculture and Water Resources through the Australian um, through the Australian Government's National Land Care Programme.